That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Hey, friends. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. All righty, let's do it. Here we go on a Friday, August 31st. Hi, everybody. My name is Peter Ogburn, sitting in for Bill Press today on another big news day. Donald Trump on the road in Indiana. NBC News is in some major hot water. Colin Kaepernick gets to move forward with his collusion case against the NFL and Robert Mueller could be dropping bombs as early as today. We will explain. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Remember, we are streaming live video at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show and also on Free Speech TV. Make sure you are checking us out there on video. And also, don't forget, of course, we are listened. You can listen to us on your favorite talk radio station, progressive talk radio station. And we're also, we also have our podcast, our podcast up, which goes up every single day, including, by the way, Labor Day. I'll tell you more about our Labor Day plans in just a moment. But uh, let me just first of all say hello to Ray Rogers. Hello, Ray. Hi, good morning. Running the board this morning. Uh, McKenna is in also helping out and Cyprian Bolding keeping us on video. You know, I, uh, not only do I work for the Bill Price Show, but I also write about food sometimes. Uh, I have never quite gotten the cultish appeal of In-N-Out Burger. I think In-N-Out Burger is good. It's good. I think it's okay. I appreciate that they use um, as many fresh, like yeah. non-processed ingredients as possible. I'm like, I mean, it's better than okay. It's good. It's a good. Bur- it's a very good burger. It's all very good quality. I feel like all the East Coast chains are better though. Like Five Guys, Shake Shack. Shake I, Shack is a hundred percent better. I prefer them. Shake Shack is a hundred percent better, but it's still good. It's, it's still good. good. It's, it's good. still it's good. good. But my point is, here's they, they're now facing a real problem. Because apparently In-N-Out Burger donated $25,000 to the grand old party, the Republican Party, twenty-five grand to the California uh, Republican Party. 
And people are kind of pissed off. I'm not here for it. They're kind of pissed off. Now, let me just say, I think that we saw a similar thing a couple years ago with Chick-fil-A because it turns out Chick-fil-A was donating uh, a lot of money to anti-gay groups, including like people that, that, that worked with like conversion therapy and keeping, uh, you know, gay student athletes for part from participating in, in sports. And that was very clear, right? Like that's, no more Chick-fil-A. No more Chick-fil-A. On the other hand, political donations, I think, are kind of a different story. Well, they used to be. I think nowadays, more than ever, it's a completely different story. Because, look, if you if you run a business that happens to donate to the Republicans, whatever. Whatever. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say, like, I refuse to eat there anymore. But today, in these times, it's not the norm. You've got to take a stand. Exactly. You've got to make a stand. This is not, this is, (laughs) I mean, look, the GOP is always and always will be very bad. But today, when you look at what the GOP has done to enable Donald Trump and carry on his message, if you're giving money to the GOP at this point, you are the bad guy. You are the bad guy. Also, wasn't In and Out started by a woman, which is just like a double dose of why? Was it really? I think so. Oh my god! Well, that's a. Re- I mean, that's especially uh, a bummer. They also put like scripture on their cups, by the way. Which no, I hate that. There I don't are a like couple that. of um, clo- I don't like that. popular clothing brands that do that as well. I don't and, like that. Uh, no, just just give me a just give me a good burger and one of your delicious milkshakes. And, and, and don't don't preach to me about uh, religion and don't give my money that I gave you to the GOP, okay? And we'll be fine. We'll be fine. On your radio, on TV, and online, this is The Bill Press Show. Hello, everybody. It is the Bill Press Show. My name is Peter Ogburn, sitting in for Bill Press on a Friday as we head into Labor Day weekend. Boy, oh boy, do we have a lot of uh, great stuff uh, coming up for you on today's program. Let me just first of all give you a little bit of a, a little bit of a rundown because we're doing uh, some special programming on Labor Day. Uh, we're going to have uh, our podcast up, which you can get. Remember, just go to iTunes, look for Bill Press Show or Bill Press and Friends. We're up there. Uh, we're going to have a great interview with uh, a, a labor leader all about the like what Labor Day actually is. Like For all these attacks on organized labor these days that you're hearing coming from the White House and Republicans and things like that, uh, y'all enjoy your day off on Monday. Because that came purely from organized labor. That's the reason that Labor Day exists. But y'all have fun eating your hot dogs and bashing organized labor. I that's that's going to go that's going to go really well for you. Uh, so we're going to have that plus of course it's Labor Day, which is a great drinking holiday. We had our buddy Greg Engert in uh, to tape a little something about uh, Labor Day beers and as we transition into October and Oktoberfest beers and we had our good friends uh, Rebecca Entralgo and Addie Baird from Think Progress 
and we all sat down and we drank like five beers. Yeah. And let me tell you, the Ray. last, oh my gosh. Okay, so we were recording this podcast yesterday and- Pull back as, the curtain a little bit. We'll just let you know what we did. Yeah, but yeah. go ahead. Okay, so we're recording this podcast yeah. and it's also in video form. Yes. And Greg is setting out the beers and then there's this one beer and I won't spoil it, but he pours it and it's just like, everyone is silent because you're actually speechless. Yeah. And then there's just this chorus of, wow, wow, wow. I, it was one of the more- uh, it was one of the more amazing beers I've ever had. Anyway, if you want to get all of that information and uh, hear about those beers and learn a little bit more, not a little bit more, a lot more about beer in general, uh, Greg is our guy. We're going to have that podcast up on Monday, and we'll also have the video up as well, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Uh, I want to start out, I mean, there's, there's just a lot of stuff from yesterday. I want to start out with uh, a story that, Kinda got buried yesterday. This is this is just the t- these are just the times that we live in. Uh, stories that would have been just thunderous land with a thud because there's just so much other stuff going on. I'm reading directly from the Daily Beast. President Trump announced Thursday that he plans to nix an automatic pay raise for federal workers because of the quote nation's fiscal situation. About 1.8 million people. One. million people will not get a pay increase next year under this new policy. So the way that this works is if you're a federal employee, which look, is is very good work if you could get it working for the government. Uh, There are automatic pay raises that are built into federal employees. Again, happy Labor Day. Thank a union. That is what the union got for them is these automatic pay raises. These happen, um, you know, every so often. It's not every year. It's it's sort of it, it, it happens every so often. Uh, employees were expected to get a 2.1% raise. But Donald Trump said that no more pay raises, no automatic pay raises. He's nixing those because of the, quote, nation's fiscal situation, which is complete and utter BS bogus hogwash. It's not True. We have the money. We Hell, have- we have we have the money for dropping bombs and more military and space force and paying for his um, vacations to oh. Mar-a-Lago. Oh yeah. But I do worry that this is something that his base will just eat up because they're basically like he's draining the swamp. Look, they're gonna love it. They're going to love it. They're going to hoot and holler, and they're going to love it because they hate the government. They hate the government, and they think that these government employees live high on the hog, and, well, hey, I didn't get a pay raise last year. Why should these guys get a pay raise? The idea that he could come out and talk about the nation's fiscal situation being too tough to give federal workers uh, a slight pay increase when we are cutting taxes for million for the millionaires and the billionaires, we're cutting taxes across the board for people who absolutely positively do not in any way shape or form need a tax cut they're getting tax cuts and the actual workers are not getting their wages increased it's pathetic also just so that we're clear the pay increase that occurs every year is 
it's wonderful for the workers, and it is something that the unions have worked very hard to secure. But it's a pay raise that just accounts for the increase in cost of living. Right. It's not like everybody right. is getting a five, ten percent pay bump every year. Right. It's, again, this is not. This is the myth is that these federal employees are fat and happy, sucking away at your uh, tax dollars, right. and that's that's what a lot of of these Trump supporters actually believe. And to your point, it is a good job. It's good work. It's good if work. You can get it, and it, it's the good benefits work. are good. Yes. But these pay raises are marginal compared to the other types of cuts that we could be making. Our buddy, uh, American Federation of Government Employees President J. David Cox, of course, this is this is his ground. This is this is his battlefield here. Uh, he says that quote federal employees deserve the full measure of pay. Com- uh, comparably provided by the law, and a 1.9 percent increase is the minimum that Congress should consider. That is not going to happen. That is not going to happen. Uh, That is just another day in the life of Donald Trump and those that follow him. Uh, Let me also move to what we're talking about, inequality and workers and all of that. I have a complicated relationship with Amazon, as I'm sure a lot of people do. I, I have Amazon Prime. Uh, it pains me to say it, but I do too, and I have such complex feelings about Amazon as a company. I know. Me too. I have Amazon Prime. I use it frequently. No, I, I frequently might not be there. Well, yeah, well, yeah screw it. Yeah, fre- I use it frequently. I use it frequently. I use it frequently too, but not nearly as much as some people, like friends and family that I know, sure. or even neighbors. Like some of my neighbors, I see candidly that they have new packages, multiple All packages, the time. Yeah. every single day. Yeah, some people just it's so easy to use. And look, uh, credit to Amazon, they created a great product that works very, very well. And if I want a 12-pack of bar soap to show up on my doorstep tomorrow, I could do that right now, and I don't have to go to the store to get it. It's incredible. It's almost like magic. It's great. It works wonderfully. I have no major real problems with the service that Amazon provides. However, let us not forget that Amazon and Jeff Bezos – One of Donald Trump's favorite punching bags, he beats up on him all the time because he owns the Washington Post and Amazon owns the Washington Post. Um, He benefited greatly from the tax cuts that that Donald Trump and the Republicans pushed through. So what is he doing with that? Well, he's not giving his employees, he's not passing it on to his employees. There's been reporting... For years, I I remember the very first story that I read about Amazon being very bad was in Mother Jones back in April of 2012. Mac McClellan wrote a piece about how she went to one of these Amazon fulfillment centers. This was this was before the Amazon Prime of saying, like, we're going to get stuff to you the next day. It was just like Amazon. This is just how Amazon worked. They had these giant warehouses. People were pickers, called pickers. They go through the warehouse. They pick stuff. They ship it, right? Um, and she writes about just the awful, 
awful conditions that they have to work in. For example, bathroom breaks. So, so let me let, let me a little bit of. I worked in a a warehouse for a large company one time. It wasn't Amazon. It wasn't like a pick. This was back when I was in college. This was like nineteen ninety eight. And it's you have to think about these warehouses are the size of like an airplane hangar. They are gigantic, gigantic. And so let's say I have to walk all the way down to the other end of the warehouse and oops, I have to take a bathroom break. But the bathrooms are all the way at the other end of the thing. You have to clock out. You don't get paid for your bathroom breaks because it'll take you like 30 minutes to get to a bathroom because they're so big and they're so vast and it's a mess. You also have to go through this whole long process to even get to the floor to do your job because you have to come in, you have to clock in, they have to search you to make sure that you're not, you know, stealing stuff. You have to walk all the way down to where you start your shift and then you clock in. The whole process of just clocking in and getting in will sometimes take you like 30, 45 minutes. Sometimes longer, by the way, when you're leaving, let's say you're at the end of your shift, you've been working, you know, eight hours, uh, it's time to go home. Okay, you got to walk all the way back, and then you have to go through security again where they search you and all of your belongings to make sure that you didn't steal anything, and then you have to go out to your – like, the, the whole process, is like, it adds a couple of hours sometimes onto your workday. And by the way, the Supreme Court a couple of years ago ruled that that was absolutely constitutional. So you are giving Amazon your time. Look at like 2 hours a day. Your personal time that they get for nothing and you get you don't get paid for it and they don't have to pay you for it. And this has only gotten worse by the way. I'm just referencing this story from 2012. It's gotten way 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 worse. And one of the people that has uh, really unloaded on them is Bernie Sanders. And he, this week, proposed legislation that he says he's going to introduce after the Labor Day break to help fix this. Because there is a major problem with how Amazon does business. There's just a major problem. They don't play, pay their employees enough. Um, they don't pay taxes in the U.S. They don't pay taxes in the U.S. The working conditions for their employees are not good. Oh, I mean, they are not good. And on a business level, they are one million percent creating a monopoly. Let's just be real. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So he, here's the thing. There's now a back and forth and a fight between Bernie Sanders and Amazon. So Bernie announced that he was going to unveil this legislation. And Amazon actually fought back. Um, basically, the legislation, by the way, would require large employers to reimburse the government for, listen to this, food stamps, Medicaid, and other federal assistance received by their employees. In other words, just to cut through that... You work a full-time job with Amazon. You get hired as a full-time employee, and you still have to go and get food stamps. You have to rely on Medicaid. You have to get federal assistance for other programs because you're not being paid enough. 
You're not being paid. Screw enough. You're not being paid a living wage. And so the grotesque optics of a guy like Jeff Bezos, who is the richest man in the world. By the way, someone actually said this to me the other day. There used to be a time that Amazon was like, oh, Amazon's still not turning a profit. Those days are long gone. People still believe that myth. That was a myth that I think worked in Amazon's favor for a long, long time because it's true. When they started up for the first several years, they weren't turning a profit. Not anymore. Most companies go through that, though. Yeah. That's the growth phase, guys. Right. But it's like, but like Amazon became a big company, yeah. and people were like, oh, my gosh, they're still not turning a profit. Don't mention that anymore. They are making more money than they know what to do with. They, he doesn't know what to do with his money, literally. I have an idea. Pay your workers! Also, can we just plug this? Amazon has this little-known um, pilot project called smile.amazon.com. Okay, yeah. And you can, anybody who uses Amazon ever can go to smile.amazon.com, and um, it donates a portion of their profit to the, um, I guess, like, organization of your choice. So you could pick, like, the ACLU, for example. Oh, nice. That would be one At way to- At no cost to you. That would be nice. That's a nice thing for them to do. I'll give them, we'll give them. It's so, it's pennies to them. I was going to say, it's nothing. It's nothing. But it's, it's helpful. Uh, So that's the legislation that Bernie is calling for. Basically, if you can't pay your uh, employees a living wage, you're not going to get these huge tax cuts. Well, yesterday, Amazon, which, by the way, Amazon rarely ever pushes back against anybody. All this, all this stuff that Donald Trump has been talking about, uh, Nobody said a word. Nobody said anything about Donald Trump attacking Amazon. Well, they actually put something out um, on Wednesday, talk, uh, pushing back at Bernie, saying it was ina- his stuff was inaccurate and misleading, uh, saying that some of these employees that they meant that they that are receiving he- uh, 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 food stamps and benefits and things like that are not full time employees. Okay, again. Kind of a self-own there, because you're saying, like, yeah, we value these employees and they're part-time employees, but we don't value them that much. So Bernie Sanders pushed back, and he says uh, he requested to visit an Amazon warehouse in Wisconsin in July, but, quote, unfortunately, Amazon could not accommodate me then. He says he is planning to visit one of these facilities in, in Virginia next month. Uh, what Bernie finally wrote, and I look, this is it for me. This is it. Th- this is apply this to Amazon. Apply this to uh, uh, any other large company. Bernie Sanders in this statement said, "Bottom line, the taxpayers of this country should not have to subsidize employees at a company owned by Mr. Bezos, who is worth one hundred fifty-five billion dollars. That is absurd." He's worth $155 billion. He makes. And he has employees that have to go get food stamps. He makes hundreds of millions of dollars a day. Yeah. Yes. He has the kind of wealth that if he were to do nothing else and spend tens of millions of dollars a day, the interest alone. Endless. Is endless. Endless. This guy's got more money than any one person can know how, what to do with in their entire lives. And, you know, look, I think that we're at a point in this country where, you know, look, we look at these success stories, we, uh, 
before these times that we're living in now. We would look at a company like Amazon and say, how cool is this? They built this big company up. They've got this online thing. You saw this market. He made it happen. But when you really look at it, it is one of the most vomit-inducing things I've ever read. The absolute just grotesque amount of wealth that he has accumulated, and he has a real opportunity to help his employees and give people what they need to thrive and succeed, and he's not doing it. And he's not doing it. He's letting people go out and get food stamps when they've got full-time jobs. That, he should be locked up. He should be. He should go to jail for that. As far as I'm concerned, he should go to jail for that. It's just such a big moral failing. It's hard to even wrap our heads around it or define the words to describe it. But this is also something that has plagued Amazon for years now. Do you remember back in 2011? I think it was um, when the it was just a little local paper started reporting on the work conditions at one yeah. of the facilities. Yeah, and it said that it was over a hundred degrees, and they had ambulances lined up outside at the ready Guys. for when people would faint. Guys, it's liter. It was literally sweatshop labor, and it was only after that uh, local paper covered the working conditions that Amazon installed air conditioning in that one facility. I don't know if it's gotten better, but in 2015, the New York Times wrote another yeah. huge article about the working conditions um, and just sort of like the moral crushing expectations of the It's terrible. There. We talk about other countries uh, having, you know, sweatshops. I mean, this is exactly what it is. But uh, anyway, here's here's what I want to get to with this whole Amazon thing, right? Bernie Sanders is out there all alone on this. Nobody else has signed on to this legislation yet. No other Democrats are willing to go, quote unquote, that far. Because a lot of the Democrats are still in the pocket of a business as big as Amazon, which is a real problem. But you know who sees this opening and who's going to take it? Republicans. I want to play this clip from your friend and mine, Tucker Carlson, last night. Hey, a blind pig can find an acorn every once in a while. Tucker can be right every once in a while. Here's Tucker being extremely correct. Jeff Bezos, the founder of Amazon, is worth about $150 billion. That's enough to make him the richest man in the world by far and possibly the richest human being in all of human history. <laughs> it's certainly enough to pay his employees well, but he doesn't. A huge number of Amazon workers are so poorly paid, they qualify for federal welfare benefits. Okay. The Republicans are about to start down this path that Democrats should have never given up the high ground on. It's this populism that helped. I mean, look, there are a lot of reasons that Trump got elected, but one of them is this populism on the right. You know, being good for jobs, we're going to take care of the workers, all this stuff. And, like, the DNC and a lot of Democrats, frankly, don't get it. They don't get it. Again, there are a lot of reasons that Trump won, but if you had a problem with the racism that Donald Trump was obviously espousing, but out of the other side of his mouth, he's saying, we're going to bring jobs back. These, these corporations are too big and we're going to, like, and we're going to, um, you know, do something about it. It's a lot easier to excuse the racism 
when you're talking like that. This is a Democratic issue. This is a Democratic issue that centrist Democrats seized high ground on a long time ago, and they've got to come back to it. And I don't want to hear any of this crap about Bernie Sanders isn't actually a Democrat, which is true. He does, he's, he's an independent. But, like, this is an issue that is at the core of who the Democrats are and should be. You look back at the throwbacks of what Democrats used to do, the FDR Democrats, and it's this. It's this. And now you've got Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, Joe Biden, all these other people that are giving speeches to these bloated financial companies. And you've got DNC saying, like, well, let's not get too carried away with this, you know, power to the people business. And, like, it doesn't matter if Trump and Tucker Carlson are being legitimate in their concerns because it's clear that they're not. Because, again, as as Tucker points out about Am- as he point makes this point about Amazon at the same time they're totally okay with giving them these gigundous tax breaks it doesn't matter it doesn't matter they've they're winning they are winning if any democratic senators have an ounce of spine and want to actually help people they'll get on board with this bernie sanders legislation and they'll say you know what If you got one of these huge tax cuts and you're one of these big corporations that's worth untold mil, excuse me, untold billions of dollars. No, you don't get those tax cuts. No, you're going to take care of your employees. That's what employees are supposed to do. Democrats are going to lose this. Democrats are going to lose this if they're not careful. Want to hear your? Want to get your comments at BP Show at BP Show. One other quick thing I wanted to mention. I mean, there's there's so much going on. The Ronan Farrow story I want to get into a little bit later. Um, uh, and also, many people view today as sort of the last day that Robert Mueller can sort of make a move before the midterms, because anything else after this might look like it was interfering with the midterms. So, like the Labor Day break has sort of been seen as if it doesn't happen by today, it's not going to happen until probably next year. You know, we'll have the midterms in November, holidays, etc. I'm not sure that we're going to get a lot of stuff. So I'm just saying, maybe just stay tuned. We'll see what happens today. We're recording this on Friday morning. So who knows what could happen later on today. Um. But I wanted to mention the Colin Kaepernick story because it just doesn't it just does not get enough play. Uh, Colin Kaepernick yesterday won a big battle uh, against the NFL because he is he sued the NFL and accused them of collusion. And what that means in this case, which is different than, you know, Donald Trump colluding with the Russians. What that means in this case is he's saying that the NFL owners. Some of the lowest forms of life on the planet. People who own NFL teams. Um, Some of these NFL owners conspired and talked to each other about, hey, we can't hire this guy. He's too uh, damaging. He could be too damaging to your brand. Um, It turns out that a judge said, yeah, you know what? There might be some evidence that, quote, 14 or more teams engaged in collusion against Colin Kaepernick. In other words, 
Look, we've seen – I don't want to get too much in the sports weeds here. We've seen terrible quarterbacks get jobs in the last couple of years since Colin Kaepernick began taking a knee during the National Anthem. Terrible quarterbacks. There was a there was a quarterback that retired as a bad quarterback, and then a team in the offseason was like, please come play for us. And he was like, okay, I'll come back and play. Jay Cutler. He's like a million years old, was never a good quarterback, retired because he was so bad and old, and they went and begged him to come back before even looking at Colin Kaepernick. Which is... So crazy. And a judge yesterday said, hey, you know what, man? You might actually have a point. You might actually have a point. These NFL owners might have actually conspired against you. So look, we don't know where this is going to end up, but this lawsuit is moving forward. And I hope to God he brings these goblins down. Oh, that would be so satisfying for me. Oh, I would be so, I'd be so good. If only. Find us on Twitter at BP Show, at BP Show. I mentioned we've got a great show coming up, and uh, I wasn't kidding, folks. Coming up next, uh, one of our favorite guests, he is the congressman from Texas's 9th District, Congressman Al Green, will be here in studio with me. Also, in the next hour, our buddy Ben Terrace from the Washington Post and Emily Atkin from the New Republic. So, you don't want to miss a moment of this program. Don't go anywhere. We're going to take a quick break. We will be right back. Same great show, new great channel. Stream live video at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Yes, it is The Bill Press Show. My name is Peter Ogburn, sitting in for Bill Press today. You just heard the liner. Uh, check out youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. We're putting up some great content over Labor Day weekend there. Uh, we are not going to be live on Monday because uh, we are going to take a day off, and I hope you get a day off as well. Uh, on your day off, check out our channel. Listen to the show. We got the podcast up as well. We got lots of cool content coming out just uh, for you on Labor Day. I am thrilled to uh, welcome our next guest into the studio. He is Congressman Al Green uh, from the great state of Texas. I was a former Texas <laughs> resident. Uh, I lived in San Antonio for a while. You're more from the Houston area. I am. I want to ask you really quickly. It's sure. been uh, it's been about a year since uh, Hurricane Harvey. How is Houston yes. rebuilding? Uh, Houston is rebuilding, but if I may say this, uh, thank you for having me on the air. Thank you for coming. And Bill, I want to thank you for always being kind and for what you have done, Bill, to keep us a part of the avant-garde and in touch with what's going on with people, not just the politics, but with people. And uh, your question is a great segue into to this. Um, the people in Houston are recovering. And if you traverse the various freeways and highways, you'll see people moving about as in a, what appears to be a normal fashion. Mm. But when you drill down, you still find that there are many people who have not recovered. We have dollars that have been sent to the state of Texas that haven't made it to the end users, the people who actually need those dollars. So we're still working to try to get more done, to get houses rehabbed, uh, to try to make sure that people get the kind of social services that they need given the circumstances that they had to endure. And we have a homeless population that mm. ostensibly is growing. You can actually see people now with tents. There are tent cities developing under overpasses. Uh, we've got to do something to help people who are living in the streets of life, literally in the streets of life. One of the things I would tell people, uh, if you haven't been to Houston, y'all got to go to Houston. Y'all got to go to Houston. You got to go check it out. I think it's such a cool – It is – 
honestly one of my favorite cities in America because it is such a diverse city. And it's also, I mean, I think a lot of people talk about diverse cities, and there are a lot of cities that are diverse, but the way that it all just sort of coexists in Houston, yes, like, it's, no, it's just, it works. It does work. Uh, I'll give you one example. My congressional district uh, has the ballot printed in four languages, mm. English, Spanish, Vietnamese, and Chinese. Wow. The ballot. Wow. The ballot, the federal ballot. And that's important. But we have a great mayor, Sylvester Turner, mm -hmm. who was a state representative, who ran for mayor three times before he won. But when he won, uh, he brought with him a lot of change. He's done an outstanding job. Uh, it's a city that welcomes people regardless as to where you're from. Generally speaking, in Houston, we're not as interested in where you're from as we are in where you want to go. Yeah. It's, a, it's a good city. Yeah. I, I've enjoyed being there. There's some problems, as in all cities. But uh, these are problems that I think we're working hard to resolve. I won't. I won't get into the Houston Rockets versus the Spurs. I'm a, I'm a San Antonio Spurs guy, so you know we. I love Houston to an extent. All right? I understand. My love for Houston only goes so far. I do understand. Well, the, the Admiral was uh, was really the centerpiece of your team for a good many years. Yes, sir. And then Duncan came along and picked up the pieces, and and he led the team. You guys have been in the limelight a very long time. Houston sort of comes and goes. But Absolutely. You, you've been a constant. You've had a good team for many years. We'll see what happens. We, I don't know. They sort of The Spurs have been dismantled, so we'll see what happens. Well, the, <laughs> just to, 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 on, on this subject, the Warriors are still the team to beat. I know. You know, when they brought Durant in, crazy. That, was, that was a game changer. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. It's just they're unstoppable. All right, so we were talking off the air. Sure. Uh, we, we've had you on the show uh, from day one after Donald Trump was elected. Um, and you wasted no time. You wanted impeachment. Yes. And um, I still believe that the president uh, has com committed impeachable acts. When he fired Comey, and then he went on national TV at prime time and confessed. Which, by the way, that was early, early yes. on in his yes. presidency. Yes, that was, that was a straw for me. Yeah, And it's ironic that he would now contend that the the, the video has been somehow tampered with and it's not exactly accurate. Uh, but he confessed on national TV. Uh, you don't have to commit a crime to be impeached. And if there's Say it one again thing, for the people yeah, in the back. I, I like Say to it again make for the people sure in the back. <laughs> you don't have to commit a crime. You, uh, and there seems to be an effort afoot by a good many people, maybe well-intentioned, but to convince the public that unless the president has committed a crime, there should be no impeachment. Impeachment is a political process that can only take place in the House of Representatives, no other place on the planet. Yeah. Uh, to the ju judicial process, which um, we have an investigator looking into Mr. Mueller, right. and that can go through the courts. But when Mr. Mueller finishes, he'll probably submit a report, and someone will take that report and make some decisions as to what will happen. But the Congress doesn't need this, as evidenced by the fact that we had 66 persons to vote for articles of impeachment, about 10 ranking members among the 66. It was a historic vote. Yeah. One third of the Democratic caucus voted for impeachment. Now, having said that, I want to make a salient point. Mm -hmm. I had a reporter to ask me a question recently that has really been on my mind. And the question was, what is the, the most significant thing that you've learned from this process? And I think about it and think about it, and I've concluded that I've learned that for a good many people who speak with fervor about the ills associated with impeachment, for a good many people, impeachment is a talking point, mm -hmm. not an action item. Yeah. A talking point, not an action item. 
And I happen to be, and I don't like using personal pronouns, my mother taught me better, <laughs> but uh, the truth is that I happen to be a person who wants to go beyond the talking points and do something about it. And that's something that every member of the House of Representatives has a prerogative to do, is bring articles of impeachment. Yeah, I mean, look, th- what the Republicans have done for Donald Trump and provide him cover and, and all of that is absolutely goes against, I don't have to tell you this, what they were elected to do. Yes. Uh, and what the framers of the Constitution intended for us to do at a time such as this with a president such as Trump, who is causing great harm to society, probably the latest and um, something that I find quite uh, uh, alarming is this monkey business comment made. Oh, yeah. Uh, that, that is emanating from Trump. Uh, that's a, an, an offshoot of his behavior. I want to play the clip. This is uh, Ron DeSantis, yes. who won the primary in Florida yes. to run as the uh, Republican candidate for governor of Florida. Uh, immediately after winning, he went to, where else? Fox. Fox News. Oh, and this is what he said. And let's build off the success we've had on Governor Scott. The last thing we need to do is to monkey this up by trying to embrace a socialist agenda with huge tax increases. That's Trump. That's Trump. That's Trump. That's Trump. He, he has made it possible for people to say these things with a degree of what they perceive as legitimacy. Yeah. Uh, the president has led the way with his comments about the IQ of a congresswoman, Maxine Waters, the asshole comments about countries in Africa, the yep. Caribbean and uh, Latin America, his comments about those people in Charlottesville being uh, some nice people among them. Uh, but what he's also done is he has made it comfortable for people to do and say things that they were, they may have thought before, but they would not do. Now, just let me say this about Fox. Yeah. They did go on the air, and they did uh, take action, and they did denounce the comments in their own way. And so I, I do want to co- give them credit for doing that. But I do say That's a low this, bar, but uh, yes, but yes, yeah. we'll give them credit. But I do say this. Um, th- that is evidence of where we may be headed, because you and I can recall... Uh, maybe not you, I'm a little bit older, uh, but there was a time in this country when the N-word was used in politics and the political discourse. Uh, and at the the genesis of the founding of what we perceive as the country when uh, certain persons landed at Plymouth Rock, but at the founding of the country, we had this horrific institution known as slavery. And a lot of that was based on convincing people that Africans were not human. Yeah. Not, they were not human beings. They were descendants of the monkeys. And depictions of black people with tails was, um, was something that was available to be seen so as to convince people that we can do what we want to them because they're not human beings. You know, I, I grew up around racists. I grew up in South Carolina. Um, calling a black person a monkey is the polite way of saying the N-word. It is. Yes, you could get you could say that and and not get your ass kicked. Yes, uh, you remember Howard Cosell? Yeah, remember, yes, I do remember yeah, that. Remember yep, that absolutely. comment? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we we've we've come a long way from that point when Cosell made that point, and it really cost him a lot. Yeah, and, uh, but uh, the president is taking us back to when George Wallace stood in the schoolhouse door, uh, taking us back to Jim Crow and segregation. All of these things are possible. I'm not saying they're imminent. Yeah. But they're possible, and they don't happen with one event. 
They happen over a period of time, and before you know it, you find yourself in a time that you don't care to be a part of. I think that's such a good point, and, and I think that's the point that's sort of being lost. I think there's a lot of people, even, even Democrats, that are outraged, and rightfully so, by what Ron DeSantis said. But when you really drill down and you think about what we're doing and what we're allowing politicians and public figures to get away with, yes. what's next? Yes. What's what, next? What what we have to do. In five years' time, is a politician uh, going to go out and call his African-American opponent the N-word and get away with it? Well, it looks like we're headed in that direction. We're headed in that direction. Yes. But this is important. Uh, we, we cannot allow political expediency to trump, pardon the pun, moral imperative. Mm. There is a moral imperative for us to fight bigotry. Uh, we we are at a, a crossroads in our country, and we're at a point where we can do something significant and show the world that we won't stand for this kind of behavior, or we can allow it to continue saying we'll get around to it at some point in time. I believe that the president ought to be impeached. Now, we can impeach him for his, uh, his comments about Comey and firing Comey, or we can impeach him for the bigotry that he's putting into policies. And I heard you a little bit earlier talking about harm that's being done to society. This president has put the LGBTQ community at risk by indicating that some persons from the community are not worthy of serving in the military. He has put uh, persons who um, are from the African-American community at risk by the way he takes on the NFL players and the things that he says that gives other people the belief that they have a license to do things in a similar fashion. And then to tell law enforcement officers, when you arrest someone, you don't have to be nice. Now you have a person within your care, custody and control. You are a part of the constabulary. You are a peace officer. You should not be told that you don't have to treat that person nice. And we know what that means. Uh, And so we have a duty to stand up to this kind of behavior because it is harmful to society and people are suffering. One final thing on this. When um, those people said blood and soil, Jews will uh, will not replace us. Some of them had jobs probably in restaurants. Yeah. Can you imagine what happens if a Jewish person goes in and this person has the opportunity to to pass a meal on to this Jewish person, or if a Jewish person goes into a bank and is securing a loan and this person has the opportunity to have a yay or nay on that loan application. Uh, these these things are subtle, Yeah. but I've been talking to people who say they can sense them who have to work in a world where you can't speak your mind now in terms of your politics because there are people who will just pounce on you if you are not pro-Trump in certain environments. So there's a harm that's being uh, perpetrated upon society, and we have a duty to confront it. You know, there was a rally here a couple of weeks ago in Washington, uh, D.C. for the one-year anniversary of the Charlottesville rally. and there was a whole conversation about whether or not. So there were, I think, there ended up being something like forty-five people. This yes. is like all that there were that were there for the actual that actual rally. But the counter protesters were in the thousands, yes. which yes. which warmed my it does my pathetic little heart. It does, and and I will tell you that um, they they had intentions of having the protest, as you know, in Charlottesville. Right. And they ran into some complications right, there. Right. So they had to move to Washington, D.C. But um, I, whenever I think of this, I don't just think of their behavior. I think of the, the lady who lost her life. Yeah. Yeah, she lost her life 
to the real consequences. Yeah, to, to bigotry. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, so there's another example of the harm that is being perpetrated upon society, giving people the belief that they can just do whatever they want with impunity. I, I want to come back to uh, the Ron DeSantis comments, which he made against the Democratic candidate for governor of Florida, yes. Andrew Gillum. Yes who is an impressive character. Quite impressive. And I want to ask you a little bit about sort of his messaging and, and where he stands. He is a candidate who uh, well says we're going to legalize marijuana in the state of Florida. We're going to abolish ICE. We're going to get Medicare for all. He is a very, very, very progressive candidate, not unlike some of the stuff that we saw from, say, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who soon sure. will be. <laughs> your colleague in the House. Yes. yes. Um, is that a message that Democrats should pay more attention to and pick up and carry that? By the way, he's also pro-impeachment of Donald Trump. Absolutely. Uh, is that something that you want to see more out of uh, Democrats? I think we should speak truth to power. Yeah. Uh, so there's no question that you can take the message of truth to the four corners of the earth. Uh, I encourage people to uh, embrace it. Uh, but if there are other issues that you have to embrace, and I think that they should be embraced as well. But I'm just going to pick, uh, take up one of these issues that is a taboo for Democrats to embrace. The notion that you can abolish ICE. Bring it uh, I'm so ready for this well, because I am, I, well, oh man, I love this. Well, um, you, you do understand that um, ICE has not always existed. Right. There was an entity that existed before ICE. It was abolished. And then ICE was born. Uh, at one time, we had something called a war department, and uh, we found that that was not good for the image of the United States to have a war department. Sure. So we abolished the war department, and now we have a department of defense. Uh, we do this routinely in government where we will put one agency to rest only in the sense that the image of it may be harmful. So we change the name to something else, but we also change the policies we change the way it operates, and uh, we have found that it's beneficial to do this. Why not abolish an entity that is now associated with taking babies from their mothers? Babies from their mothers as they are screaming and crying, Mama, yeah. why would we want to keep that image before the public? Uh, the president just recently talked about how he wants to abolish uh, NAFTA and would call it the uh, American-Mexican trade agreement. And he said NAFTA has a bad connotation. Well, what we have done as Democrats, we have allowed the Republicans to move forward with a message that's not our message. We haven't said that we are for open borders. We have said that we oppose the behavior and the policies and that they have so soiled the image of the entity that it ought to be changed. Hey, look, I am so with you on this. And for like, like, let's just take for example Ted Cruz, right? Who I'm sure you you are familiar. I've with. heard of it. <laughs> You've heard of this guy. Uh, he's one of these guys that says we can't abolish ICE. There's no way we can abolish ICE. This is a government institution. Blah, blah blah. Ted Cruz is on record many many times saying abolish the IRS. Yes, things like that. The IRS. And but they, when they say that. They literally mean they literally that mean, there will be no exactly. tax collection agency. Well, that, they, they literally mean that. Right. Uh, and so, like, look, they're willing to go that far yes, for yes. what they, quote, unquote, believe, believe. in. Yes, right. Yes. Uh, why won't Democrats go that? I mean, this seems like a very easy statement. Look at ICE. Look at these fascist pigs in ICE and look at what they're doing to families. 
And why can't Democrats just say, yeah, we're going to abolish ICE, and well, this is why? I, I think that um, we have a, a duty to ourselves to just speak the truth about these things. And the truth is that you can say you're for abolishing ICE, and a good many Democrats would like to see it changed and like to see it ha- embrace policies that won't separate mm. children from their families. Now that's that's not a bad thing for Democrats to embrace, in my opinion. But uh, I have found that we, for whatever reasons it seems, would like to cruise to a victory. This is a fight. Yeah. That's this it. is a fight. That's it. We're not going to win without a fight. We're not going to cruise to victory. This is going to be a battle. And our people don't expect us to always win. We'd love to win all the time, but they do expect us to fight. And we can't do this without a fight. Uh, Trump is not going to just go away. We're going to have to take him on. And we're going to have to talk about the things that are important to people. Salient point. We expect African-Americans to turn out in big numbers. The number one issue that African-Americans see as a problem for them is bigotry and racism. We don't talk about bigotry and racism and how it impacts the lives of the LGBTQ community, African-Americans, how it impacts the lives of women. We don't allow that original sin of, of racism to surface in our political discourse. We almost ashamed to, to let it surface. And if we do let it surface, it's just as a talking point, not an action item. It's time for us to decide that Democrats are going to fight for the rights of all of its constituents. And that would include African-Americans. We, we move to so far to the center in the general election that we leave the African-American community behind as they see it. And when you do that, the turnout is not what you want. And then after the election, you want to know why didn't the African-American community vote in greater numbers? They had so much to lose. Well, you didn't talk about the issues that were important to them. And until you talk about the issues that are important to people, they don't embrace you fully. We 95 percent of African-Americans are going to vote for Democrats. But the question is, what percentage of that 95 percent will vote? That's the question. And when we don't embrace the, the issue of bigotry, when we when we can't say impeachment. What do you expect them to do for you to just let you ignore them and still give you their hearts and souls? At some point, you have to embrace the issues. Uh, it's been a long time since I've been to church. This feels pretty well, good. I'm this, sorry, is pretty, I, this is pretty close. Well, uh, no, this is what this is the message that Democrats need to hear. This is the message that every Democratic politician needs to hear. We've only got about two minutes left, yes. but I really want to get in one last question about uh, Beto O'Rourke. Yes, uh, who is running to take down Ted Cruz? Yes. Uh, he going to make it? I think he has a good possibility. I, the poll that I saw last indicated that he was within four points. Uh, I think he has a very good possibility of winning. Uh, He attracts large crowds. Uh, He has been on a fundraising just rampage. It's unbelievable. He reminds a lot of people of uh, Barack Obama. He He can get that enthusiasm. He can get those crowds. He does. And he has a good message. Uh, He's got a strong message of inclusion. People want that now. They want a society that allows people to succeed on their merits or fail on their demerits. They don't want to, a society that allows bigotry to determine the destiny of people. And I think that he's embraced that well. And I will tell you this. If he wins, there will be a new day in this country. Yeah. There will be a new day in this country. Oh, by the way, 
The young people have embraced him, the millennials. Yes. That's important. That's important. I'm old enough to remember when millennials didn't vote. Well, well, I'm 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 young enough to believe now that there a change has come. Amen. Yes. In the words of Sam Cooke, yeah. long time coming. Yeah. But I know a change gonna come. I think it's come. <laughs> I, I think so. Amen. Well, look, as I mentioned, you've been on this for a long, long time. You've been absolutely a hundred percent correct from the very beginning. Well, thank you. I'm glad to see that more Democrats are coming your way. I, I, I mentioned we've had members of Congress that come in here all the time and. A year ago, they were, uh, I'm not ready to talk impeachment. A lot of them are ready to talk impeachment now. So uh, with that, we will send you into a Labor Day weekend. Well, thank you very much. And uh, I do wish Bill the very best in you and the program. You really get a message out to the masses that we don't get out in a lot of other uh, circumstances. Congressman Al Green representing Texas's 9th District. Uh, follow him on Twitter at Rep Al Green. Thank you so much for your time, thank Congressman. You. I appreciate it. Thank you. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Hello, everybody. My name is Peter Ogburn, sitting in for Bill Press today. Thank you so much for tuning in in the final hour of the program. Uh, still lots to talk about, lots going on. Uh, I'm joined now by my buddy. Been a while since he's been on the show. Political reporter for The Washington Post, Ben Terrace. Hi, Ben. How are you? Good. Good to be here. Good to see you. I, I want to, you know, there's a story, by the way, out of, oh, where else, Florida. There is a family that's being terrorized by a monitor lizard okay. in their backyard. Uh-huh. So here's the thing. This monitor, which, by the way, this monitor lizard, seven feet long. Okay, but let's, what is a monitor lizard? What makes so it a mo- it's, 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 it's not as big as a Komodo dragon. Okay. But it eats meat. It's bigger than a bread box. It's bigger than a, <laughs> bigger than a bread box. It's like a huge meat-eating lizard sure. that's like in this family's huge backyard, uh-huh. and they can't catch it. It's seven feet long. It's 150 pounds. They brought in trappers. The trapper can't catch it. Uh, they are not known to eat people, but they will eat small animals. Like people. Like small people. <laughs> the family points out they have a two-year-old and a four-year-old, so they're kind of freaked out. Sure. Like, heaven forbid, right? Um, and he says that, that one of the the homeowners is like, we're like, you know, we, we're in Florida. We're used to alligators and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But monitor lizards, they're faster. They, they can like burrow. And so like, they, they brought in a trapper to try and catch this thing. They can't catch it. They got some footage of this monitor lizard. Literally seven feet long. It's the it's one of the scariest. It can burrow. It's like, it can burrow. It's like tremors with, yeah, with it's, Kevin it's, Bacon. <laughs> 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 Which by the way, I just rewatched that movie Does it hold up? with my kids. 
absolutely holds up. Yeah, the movie's amazing. It's a great movie. It's incredible. It might if be you, the best movie. Which I didn't realize that there are there are like seven Tremors. Uh-huh. They made sequel after sequel after Tremai. sequel. Tremai. 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 Uh, Ray, have you ever seen Tremors? Do you know what we're talking about? <laughs> I have no idea what you guys are talking about. I'm sorry. It's really good to come on here and talk about the news of the day, you know? Tremors we'll get, we'll and get lizards. There. No, Modern lizards. News you can use, friends. <laughs> yeah, yeah. News you can use. Giant, yeah. smelly earthworms. Sure. Um, yeah, that's what Tremors is about. <laughs> it's Kevin Bacon. Who else is in it? I don't know. A bunch of rocks they stand on. Yeah, but yeah, that's the thing. You, you, have can't, to, you can't it's go like, It's the basically rocks. like the children's game. Like, you, if you step on the ground, it's lava. Except right. for if you step on the desert, it's a giant... Smelly worm. That the was dad, I, the dad from Family Ties, is in it. Is that right? He's I'm, the he's the gun nut. He's the gun nut. Oh yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Sip with the assist. I love it. Yeah, Excellent. I have um, a semi-related question. So Kevin Bacon is in the Tremai. Yes. Movies? Yeah. Well, um, I, well, I know he's I know he's definitely in the first one. I don't know if he came back for the sequel. I doubt okay, he came. Does back anybody think that Ethan Hawke and Kevin Bacon look alike? Because one time I ran into Ethan Hawke and I was like, "Isn't that Kevin Bacon?" And he heard me, and Keith, my husband, was like, "No, that's definitely Ethan Hawke." Does <laughs> Ethan Hawke look like Kevin Bacon? Sure, ish. The I mean, answer is no. He yes, does not. They do. No, yes, they do not they look do. alike, Ray. It's like one degree of Kevin Bacon <laughs> and, and Ethan Hawke. Don't um, Johnny Depp and Kevin Bacon look like ever, anybody? <laughs> Sorry, can't, I can't go there with you. I can't go there with you. Uh, anyway, they're they're trying to catch this big friggin' lizard. Uh, it's just like the most Florida story ever. Definitely, they've got a yeah. pool. The lizard just like comes out and will like bask, and then they'll come out. To like try and get him or scare him off, and he just runs and burrows. That's amazing. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, that's great. You thought it was just alligators and snakes and spiders and Mm -hmm. all the other horrible things that could eat you in Florida. No, it's it's the monitor lizards. Yeah. Uh, ben, you got a lot of different things we want to talk about. Uh, we just talked to Congressman Al Green about Beto O'Rourke. You just got back from Texas. We're going to launch into some of that. Also, you wrote about the Washington, D.C. odd couple. Uh, Kellyanne and George Conway. We're going to get into all of that. Uh, we do have to take a really, really quick break. So we'll jump into all of that in just a couple of minutes. Remember, by the way, uh, the Labor Day podcast is going up on Monday. We've got some really cool stuff up there. I will tell you all about that on the other side of this break. So stay tuned, everybody. Live video, Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Hi, everybody. It's The Bill Press Show. My name is Peter Ogburn, sitting in for Bill Press. And just a just plug for a moment, if you don't get the podcast, you don't always get all of the commentary that we talk about before we get started with the actual show. Like, we do a couple minutes uh, that's just for video, uh, doesn't go on our radio affiliates, and we talk about some news of the day, some wacky stories. Sometimes we do the full court press where I do a couple of weird stories. And in the last segment, we were talking about the movie, one of the greatest contributions to American cinema of all time, Tremors, starring Kevin Bacon, who may or may not look exactly like Ethan Hawke. Ray thinks that they look exactly alike. I threw a googlay on 
<laughs> Ethan Hawke, Kevin Bacon, one of the first things I got was a blog post with the headline, Ethan Hawke totally looks like Kevin Bacon. Okay, the first thing I got... Wait, it was written by Ray Rogers? <laughs> no, it's not true. That's my personal blog of another Bill Presho <laughs> Easter egg, if you care to find it. That's right. The first thing I got, which I just Googled it to make sure that I wasn't going crazy, um, and I don't know if this is a reliable source or not, but FamousKin.com says that Kevin Bacon is the eighth cousin two times removed of Ethan Hawke. Is that enough degrees, or is that the I right amount? I think it's going to be. I don't think that's. I don't think it's. I think it's. It doesn't count. It's got to be six degrees. Six I'm degrees. sorry. <laughs> yeah. Those are the rules. Yeah, that's, I don't make the rules. That's just how it goes. I just live by them. <laughs> Although I will say there is a convincing side by side of Kevin Bacon and Ethan Hawke, where in those two particular pictures they do look like brothers. Do they I'm look alike? I'm about to send you a deluge of photos where they look identical. <laughs> do they look identical? Brace yourself. <laughs> Not to me. By the way, we're joined by um, political reporter for the Washington Post, <laughs> Ben Terrace, to talk about modern lizards and Kevin Bacon yep. and Ethan Hawke yep. and Tremors. Uh, and also, uh, Kellyanne Conway and George Conway. I want to get into that in just a minute, but I want to, I want to let you guys know, uh, we are not going to be live on Labor Day. I know uh, that's that's tough for some of you guys to swallow, but we're going we're gonna to take a day off. But we do, we have recorded some cool stuff that we're going to put out on Labor Day, including an interview with some labor leaders. And yesterday we sat down and we drank, for journalistic purposes, a ton of beer for Labor Day. What's, what am I doing here now? In the I name of science. I sent out a tweet. I sent out a tweet. It was like, if any D.C. area journalists want to come in and drink a bunch of beer with us, you can come do it. And we had some other people take me up on the offer. Yeah? Yeah. Well, I deleted uh, Twitter off my phone, so I missed it. Did you really? Yeah. That's amazing. Can we talk about this for a second? Sure. Because I got off Twitter about a year ago. Um. And because it's bad, Twitter is bad. It is definitely bad. Yeah. I deleted, I suspended my account, I deleted it from my phone. Uh, and then at the beginning of this year, I had to put it back on mostly for work purposes. Mm-hmm. But it completely changed the way that I use Twitter. Yeah. Totally used the way, yeah. cha- way I, I use Twitter. Well, I haven't, I, I, haven't, I haven't killed my account or anything. All I did is I took off the app on my phone. I can still log in and do the two step verification and sure, sure, go sure. onto the website on my phone. But that's like just enough steps that yeah, I don't do don't it. Do. Li- I don't do it literally every time I stop walking, which yeah. is what I used to do with Twitter. So now I'm checking it, you know, ten times a day instead of ten times like an hour. Yes. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. That's it. And I feel so much better. Yeah, me too. Isn't it good? It's so yeah. much better for your mental health. Yeah, for sure. Um, but then I missed out on beer, so you know. But then you yeah, missed out on pros beer. Pros and cons. Yeah. <laughs> As with everything. Uh, so we drink a bunch of Labor Day beers because uh, it's a great beer drinking holiday with our friend Greg Engert from Blue Jacket. He came in, brought us a bunch of delicious mm. beers. Uh, so we've got that uh, coming out on Monday. So you wrote for the Washington Post, WashingtonPost.com. Also in these, uh, you put these, these like newspapers, they print the website these days. I haven't, I haven't heard about that yet. It must be a new product. Bezos. <laughs> what an innovation. Uh, WashingtonPost.com. You wrote about Kellyanne Conway who very clearly loves Donald Trump, Mm -hmm. and her husband, George Conway, who does not appear to love Donald Trump. He very clearly does not love Donald Trump. It's such a weird thing. Yeah. And it's one of these weird, like, Washington, D.C. romances, James Carville, Mary Madeline things, just two completely opposite ends of the spectrum. But with a guy like Donald Trump who demands uh, unquestioned loyalty Mm -hmm. from his people, it is weird that she is able to get away with having a husband who talks as much s as he does. Yeah, well two things. First, she brought up uh the Carvilles, her, you know, Mary Madeline and James Carville herself when I was talking to her and she's like we are not them. And I and honestly I 
I, I agree because, you know, they're, they're Democrat, Republican. They, like, go on TV. They talk about it. They argue about it. It's, like, part of their shtick. I, mean, I believe they, they, Fair. they believe those things, but yeah. it is also, like, I think it kind of brings them together, if anything. Sure. And George and Kellyanne really, like, do not like talking about Trump together. They do not like talking about – it was kind of an awkward conversation for me to have with, with both of them. Neither of them really wanted to go there. Um, and so it, in, in some amazing. ways it's kind of more interesting because they they agree on nine out of ten things. It's just that the tenth thing is the hugest thing in America, and it's it's a it's a pretty existential thing not to agree on. And, and yeah, I, the thing is um, Trump does demand ultimate loyalty. I think Kellyanne has shown ultimate loyalty yes. by being willing to throw her own husband <laughs> under the bus and show that she's more loyal to the president in some ways than she is to her husband, at least in the pages of the Washington Post. I mean, I think if Trump were to read that story, he would probably be like, oh, Kellyanne is, yeah, she's more loyal to me than to, than to George. I, I, I want to read just some of the opening the, the, the opening lines from your piece, which is again at WashingtonPost.com. Um Kellyanne Conway is in her living room showing me an enormous painting of Audrey Hepburn wearing a peacock on her, on her wearing a peacock on her head. Uh, okay, uh, but her husband George really wants us to come into his office and, t- and look at a photograph of the moment everything changed. It's a picture he took on election night, 2016. Donald Trump is reaching for the first draft of his acceptance speech, just as victory seemed in- imminent. Back then, George was such an ardent supporter of the president and so proud of his wife for his, his historic role as campaign manager that he wept for joy. That photo was from before you cried, Kellyanne says. Now I cry for other reasons, George mutters. I didn't realize that he was like on board the Trump train. Yeah, he, I mean, he was a supporter. He was like, you know, uh, he did cry that night because he was proud and excited about what was going to happen. He was even considered for a top job at the Department of Justice. He was going to be the head of the civil division of the Department of Justice, was going through the process. Uh, the job was his for the taking, it sounds like. Uh, you know, the first time I ever wrote about George was when he was up for that job. And he decided not to take that job. And my reporting is basically he decided not to take it because things started unraveling pretty quickly in the, yeah. in, in the Trump White House. I mean, the, the Mueller investigation was happening. Comey was fired. Um, and it was he basically I mean, the words that I've heard he used, which I'm not sure what I'm allowed to say or not on, on the podcast. So You're probably not allowed to so say it. So I won't say it. Yeah. But it was a something show. And yeah. he decided he just didn't want a part of it. And people ask me, um, you know, well, how did he not see who Trump was before? How could he be such a big supporter and yeah. then be such a big detractor from the president? Which I think is a question that people have for like family members and sure, friends sure. and all of that. So and, this and is my, kind my, of a universal question. And my understanding is basically, look, he thought maybe he thought that the president was a, a little nuts, but he also thought that he could come in and as crazy as the campaign was, maybe he would just be a good president. A lot of people thought this, right? Mm-hmm. He he had the potential to to do something that no other presidents could have done. You know, maybe he could have toned it down a little or uh, brought people together that you never thought could be brought together. And he, I think he basically had high hopes that it could be a good president. And then it was just like, oh, no, it's going to be kind of like the campaign, but forever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I've talked to countless people um, that I know, especially in South Carolina and, and where I'm from and, uh, you know, other places that were like, look, we, we got that this is why he had to run his campaign like this. Like, we understand that this is how he had to run his campaign. But when he becomes president 
Everything's going to change. He's going to run a tight ship. He's a businessman. He knows what he's doing. There's well, remember, no way that he could just like remember the story. I think it was in the in the New York Times Magazine where there was an anecdote about how he basically offered the presidency to John Kasich, and he was going to just make America great right, again as the president. Right, and, right. And, and, and if people thought that's how he was going to do things, where he was just going to kind of outsource the work, and he was going to be like the great spokesman for America, like he could have just it could have been a relatively normal Republican presidency. Or I even talked to some Democrats who were like. Hey, maybe he like does a transportation bill or an infrastructure bill first, and like we might not want him to succeed, but like he could be successful if yeah. if he you know does the kinds of stuff you know the building and the and the infrastructure that he wants to do. Like maybe he could he could be successful. I, yeah, that's fair. I I just don't understand the George Kellyanne thing and where this ends. Right, like because mm-hmm. no matter where you stand on the political spectrum, right? Like Donald Trump's got some real problems on his plate right now. Uh, where that ends up, whether it ends in impeachment or criminal activity or eight years as president, we don't know. Mm-hmm. We don't know. But I I just, you know, I can't, I just don't, with those two in particular, they can't be alone in the sense that there are a lot of couples that go through the same thing, right? Like whether one person loves Trump and the other person doesn't. Sure. That's got to be a really hard thing to deal with. Well, in a normal family, you know, you could just kind of pretend that the president doesn't exist as best you can. But sure. but Kellyanne is, you know, she is the top, you know, advisor and, and surrogate for the president. I mean, she is inextricably linked to this presidency. And he is a, you know, he's a Republican lawyer. He's like kind of a behind the scenes guy. But, you know, you can't just pretend that she doesn't have this day job. You can't pretend that this is not right. her life. I mean, right. you know, it's one thing to, to to vote Republican or vote Democrat, but then, you know, work for, you know, the, the Washington Nationals. And that's actually how you spend most of your time and what, you, what you're thinking about. Yeah. But if every day what you're doing and thinking about is is the president and then George is at home tweeting negative <laughs> things about the president, then they're both very public. Right. It's not yeah. like they have these private thoughts. They're both putting them out there. For everybody to see. All right. Uh, I want to switch gears because you wrote about one of our favorite topics here on the show, one of our favorite politicians, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Uh, we know she won in the Bronx um, in a upset by all accounts. Uh, and her message, certainly I think a lot of people said she's the right candidate for that district. Her message resonated there in the Bronx, and that's why she won. But... Would it work as well in other parts of the country? What's the word? Is it? Yeah. Look, I don't really know what will work or what won't. All right. Thanks a lot, Ben. We'll see you later. Thanks. Good good talk. (laughs) But I I went out to Kansas and I saw uh, her and Bernie speak out in Kansas at a couple of, um, you know, for a couple of candidates, one of whom didn't win and one who did. And um, my my job is like less to kind of be able to prognosticate what will happen, but but kind of just see what's going on. And, And so for me, what was very interesting about it is the candidates kind of said, look, I'm going to be called a socialist no matter what. Yeah. Like, so what? You know, if they're going to call me a socialist no matter what, like, I don't have to be afraid of being called a socialist. So I can bring, you know, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez to stump for me. I can bring Bernie to stump for me. And even though I might not agree on literally every single issue, these are good people. These are candidates that I support, and these are candidates that I would like to support me. And if I get called a socialist for it, I'm going to be called a socialist anyway. Sure. And I think that's I think that's something there's something to that which is you know you don't have to be afraid of um 
the political ramifications of something that you actually believe in if you actually believe in it. And, and sure. it doesn't mean they believe in literally every stance, like I said, but they believe in the power of this message. And, and I think that's exciting, and I think people are really into that. So if you go to these events, sure, it's, a, it's you know, 5,000 people, 2,000 people, 3,000 people, but they're psyched. And there is something, you know, in this, in, after 2016, there's something to be said about momentum and enthusiasm and crowd sizes. I mean, you know, it might be just the new conventional wisdom. It could be proven wrong, but it's also... This is where we are right now. Like, let's get some excitement on, on, on this side of the aisle. You know, that's a really good point, actually, that, like, I mean, Nancy Pelosi is being called a socialist, right? Yeah. It was, like, far from a socialist. And People accused Hillary Clinton of being a socialist, Obama which Care is, is absolutely- Obamacare is called socialism, and right. it came from the Heritage Foundation. Exactly. I mean, what, does, what does it even mean? Yeah, we can't just call everything socialism uh, and believe it. But to your point, you know, if you're going to be called that, you might as well embrace the good parts of it and just go nuts. Go nuts. And I, I just this week look at Andrew Gillum in Florida who ran on a pretty socialist platform, right? Medicare for all, legalizing marijuana, abolishing ICE, yeah. impeaching the president. I will Unabashedly you- out in the open saying this is what I'm going to do as governor of Florida. You know, not everybody – but. Florida. It, it still is a you know it still is politics. It still is trying to figure out what yeah. people actually want. And so you know I was just down in Texas with Beto O'Rourke, and I was riding around in a car with him, and uh, a, a request had come in from a Dallas newspaper. And a, it was a story about um, being called a socialist. It was mm. you know Ted Cruz is calling you a socialist. Uh, how do you respond? And I was in the car while they were trying to kind of figure out how to answer that question. And Beto was like, "Ugh, I hate answering questions like this. It's sort of like." You know, uh, how often do you beat your wife and have to say, no, I don't molest children. You know, right. no, I'm not a socialist. I hate that. It's fear mongering. And, you know, he took the call and he walked around. And he basically said, no, I'm not a socialist. And then he t- tried to pivot to something else. It still is a dirty word for some people and in some places. And even if Beto is running a very liberal campaign, he still probably doesn't want to be called a socialist because people in Texas might not want to vote for a socialist, even if the alternative is Ted Cruz. There was a um, an interviewer in Maryland that asked Ben Jealous the oh my same God, that was thing, amazing. Yeah. and he lost his mind. It was amazing. He like, said something you're not allowed to he say. He said something you're not allowed. You're him. definitely not allowed to say. <laughs> you're not allowed to say it. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's there are Democrats that you know are really actually pretty scared of it, and then there are those that really embrace it. And I think it just is a matter of geography. Yeah, and look, I mean, look. Who knows, right? I mean, there you could take polling and people could say, "I hate, I hate social," you know, the term socialism, and then you run away from it, or you could just lean into it, and then it turns out, well, the polling is wrong. So, who, who, some people just aren't going to care, and they're just going to lean into it. But I think the bigger the race gets, you know, like like I said, the Beto race is so big yeah. that anything like that could just take over and become all you hear about for a long time. Uh, Speaking of Beto, I want to read directly from 538.com. This is a piece that went up this morning saying, how much trouble is Ted Cruz really in? A new Senate poll came out this week showing Democratic Representative Beto O'Rourke within one point of Republican Senator Ted Cruz. It gave new life to a familiar question. Could Texas finally flip blue? Normally, this would be the point where we lecture everybody about the dangers of putting too much stock into one poll, but this poll wasn't even much of an outlier. It came on the heels of a few others that also show O'Rourke within a few points of Cruz. That's an awfully close race for a state that Donald Trump won by nine points in 2016. Is it time to start betting on a Democrat in Texas? 538 answers their own question by saying, 
we still say you should hold on to your chips, which I think more, that is more along the lines of like this is really, really close in either on either side, right? Uh, but you just spent some time down mm-hmm. in Texas. Yeah. Uh, did you get some? I assume you got some barbecue while you were down. I there. did. Yeah, I had some barbecue. Sort of fight here. I'm not a huge brisket guy. Yeah, I'm not a huge Texas barbecue guy. Yeah, I'm. I like Kansas City barbecue more myself. Respect. Um, but there was some really good barbecue that I had down in Texas. I mean, I'll just I'll eat I'll eat any barbecue. Yeah, look, look. I mean, you know, yeah. Bad brisket is still pretty damn good. That's right. Okay, but like, I, I would imagine that down there. I mean, it's I lived in San Antonio for a little while, and it's mm. like a religion. Yeah. Oh yeah. You don't want to screw it up. You don't want to mess with the barbecue. So how long were you down there with Beto? So I was with him for about five days. Okay. Uh, I've been writing about Beto since 2013 somehow. Respect. Um, I, I wrote about him when I was back at National Journal, and he was a new congressman. I, I think I was just into him because of like the punk rock stuff, and it was like- Yeah, but th- there was this weird thing from the Texas GOP Twitter account. That was so funny. Amazing, Yeah, it's right? like, hey, do you want to vote for this cool guy? This really cool guy? <laughs> He's like an old punker that used yeah. to get drugs. And uh, now skateboards? To... Yeah. Isn't that lame? Skateboards and a Whataburger. Like, what? Yeah. A, like, in the Texas icon that is what? Did you go to Whataburger? I did, yeah. 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 Whataburger's amazing. It is good, yeah. I missed a connecting flight one time in Houston because I wanted to get a Whataburger. That's funny. I missed a flight when I was in Kansas City last time because I was in line for a very lar- long barbecue place, and I was like, <laughs> you know what? I'll find another flight. Exactly. Yeah. What do I care? Yeah. Um, so, again, Beto O'Rourke, old punker. Yeah. Uh, they put up a picture of him with his old band, which is undeniably cool as hell. Yeah. Um, but... He's now, you know, he's he's like, you know, he's got to play it straight a little bit. Yeah, well, so this is sort of some of the stuff I'm, I was talking to him about, which is like, he he does. He, there's music everywhere he goes. He goes on stage at places and goes, "Oh my God, this is a stage I wish I could have played on, like with my old band, like when we were touring around in a beat up old Plymouth, like we never could have expected to be here, and now here I am talking to you. This is so cool." But then if you try to talk to him too much about like what's it like to be a rock star, he has to push back on it a little sure. because. You have to be a reluctant rock star, right? You have to you have to be somebody who everyone knows, but you also have to be, you know, kind of cool about it. You have to be a regular guy, otherwise you look like you're just in it for the wrong reasons. You look like you're in it because Kevin Bacon will be tweeting about you and Ethan Hawke will do an interview on you, which are two things that actually happened and apparently they look alike, so <laughs> you know, it's that's it all comes, it back, all comes back. So I mean, he he has to kind of figure out how to be both a superstar and also not look like one. This this is similar, I think, to uh, maybe even the election in 2016 in the sense that like a lot of like every poll showed Hillary Clinton was going to win, but there were a lot of people that said like, no, look at some of the enthusiasm for Trump, right? Look at the yard signs, look at all this type of stuff. The enthusiasm for Beto around the around the country seems to be great. Yeah, how is it in Texas? I mean, I was just going to events that he was holding, and they were packed, and it was unbelievably enthusiastic. That is, you know, people who are seeking out Beto events. But al- but also he was having these events all over Texas, including in these kind of Republican hinterland s- spots where, you know, Democrats hadn't shown up for years. And there was so he went to this, he went to Temple, Texas, and it's kind of ruby red, you know, part of Texas. And uh, Britt Daniel from Spoon was there. It was it was that's his hometown. He was there playing an 845 uh, in the morning. Yeah. 
show to open up for Beto, and it was a, kind of a funny scene because like Spoon at eight forty-five in the morning, and everyone, ev- everyone is yawning, and it was like a, it was it was weird. But that's a that's a weird look. It was man. weird, but Britt was there because this was his hometown. He hadn't mm. played in his hometown since high school. He was actually in the building that he had gone to church in when he was oh, when he was God. growing up, and he was like, I had to come here because Beto was coming here, and part of it was like I had to see if people would show up, like who would who would come to see Beto in Temple, and the place was packed. It was eight forty-five in the morning. No kidding. And so I mean, you know, there's been a lot of stories written about these crowds and and they're real i mean it's it does feel like like a big like like there's a real momentum thing happening down there okay so now the i don't want to get too far ahead of this right because like who knows how this election is going to end up but even if there's a there's a piece in vanity fair this morning uh, win or lose beto o'rourke is the new obama mm-hmm. right when you look at the crowds the enthusiasm and all that stuff um, so where does he go from here? I mean, if he wins, is he going to be on the ticket in 2020? I know he's probably has absolutely not answered that question. Well, and I don't want you to prognosticate. We know you're not a prognosticator. Yeah. Um, I've talked to a lot of people about this in his world and him and his wife. And first of all, his wife says, absolutely not. He's never going to run for president. Please don't run for president. You know, that would be horrible for us. Which of course means nothing. <laughs> Which means nothing. I'm just saying that. Yeah. She said no, that. no, that's fair. Uh, from people I talked to, Again, politicians end up doing things that climb the ladder all the time, so who knows. But my, my, my guess would be if he wins, there will be such a clamoring for him to run that it would be hard to say no. Yeah. But also he might still say no for two reasons. One, because it wouldn't be fair. Like this is the, the good guy part of him. Totally. Is it wouldn't be fair to like run for Senate and then just leave. I mean this is what he's hammering yeah, Ted, yeah, Ted yeah. Cruz on. Yeah. And so that's like you know from an from a ethical or moral place, but also from a kind of practical place if he were to run for president that would be all anyone talked about they'd be like oh you're a guy who just ran for senate so you could be president it would turn him into this ambitious whatever and i I think it would be kind of a tough thing he could get pulled in he could become a vp candidate who knows i think if he loses by a point you might be more likely to yeah no that's a good point that's a good point like in in that sense he could could, first of all what else is he gonna do i mean like (laughs) Like get the band back together, man. Yeah, well, maybe we'll go see him now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it, it that, that's an interesting point because I I think that Barack Obama probably could have benefited from a little more time in the Senate to learn how things, quote unquote, worked. Right. You know, in the Senate to learn how that happens. That was one of the biggest complaints when you talk to politicians is like he didn't play the game as well as others, and like that's. Not that you have to play the old tired game, sure. but also like there's something to be said about you know making sure that these these politicians. It would just be one of those things where it would look, and who knows? Every politics is weird. Like you, you people can get over breaking. Anything. <laughs> people can get over anything, but it would be a very strange scene if it was you know day one he's you know sworn into the Senate and day two. I mean, you basically have to launch a campaign like right away, like right away. And so it's like, hello, welcome. Like it's good to be here. Also, I'm Bye. never gonna, I'm never going to be here anymore. Right. right. Like, right. see you, Iowa. Like, uh, it would be it would be strange. Um, you know, I yeah, I think th- I think that's right. I think that's right. People and, have overcome, you know, the shame before to do stuff like that. So it could happen. But yeah. So, uh, what's your gut on this race? How does this play? Uh, no matter what, it's going to be close. It's. I think. Who knows? Maybe I, I could. You know, every one of these races, I, I wake up in the the next day and it's like, well, did. What we expect happen happen, or did somebody just blow out the other person? Right. And so I don't know. I mean, I don't know the electorate of Texas well enough to know, but it seems like it's. 
I, it seems like they're the underdog still, the the the, the Aurora campaign. It really does. Um, but you know, the good thing about being a political reporter these days is you can always be like, stranger things have happened, yeah, and, right, and right, not right. have to and not have to know. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. You know, the the thing that I would pay attention to is, for me personally, that I've noticed is, you know, the conventional wisdom is, you know, politics moves really, really quickly. I think that is such an understatement these days of just how quickly someone can decide to not vote or, oh, my God, I've got to get out and vote. I think it can happen in a matter of days. The the real kind of political wonks look at the fact that the the governor, Greg Abbott, is very popular and is up for re-election. And so you're going to if he's, you know, up 12 points or whatever, you're going to have to have a lot of people who vote for Greg Abbott and then also vote for Beto O'Rourke, which can which, happen, which can happen. It just seems like that's a it's another hurdle to get over that, you know, what's the popularity of Ted Cruz in Texas these days? I just I genuinely just don't know. I know what his popularity is among the Senate. It's not great. It's not great. Um, <laughs> I don't think it's great but it's not terrible okay uh, it, you know he's not under uh, deep underwater as far as i know yeah all right ben thanks for coming in man thanks for having me political reporter for the washington post uh read his good work at washingtonpost.com i appreciate you coming in oh you're also on twitter by the way i follow you on twitter but what's your what's your twitter handle at b terrace but but you're not going to check it very yeah, often yeah, so who bother. cares yeah, no don't... go follow ben go follow eh, ben either way just so you can read his read his good work <laughs> uh thanks for coming in buddy i really appreciate yeah. it We're going to take a very, very quick break. We'll be right back with Emily Atkin from the New Republic. She joins me next. Live video, Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Yes, indeed, it is The Bill Press Show. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, We appreciate you joining us, whether you're watching us on YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show or on Free Speech TV or listening to our podcast, looking for The Bill Press Show and iTunes or wherever you get your great podcasts. I will mention one more time that we are not going to be here on Monday, but we have lots of great programming available for you uh, that's going to be out on Monday. Our podcast is going up and video on our YouTube page. That's going to be, um, we are going to have an interview with some labor leaders for Labor Day, which again, if you have the day off on Labor Day, thank organized labor, because that's why you have it. And we also, um, in the work of, service journalism we drank a bunch of beer for labor day uh and emily you were maybe going to be a part of that i sent out a tweet and asking for journalists to come and drink beer with us but you were a little late on it and so we had other reporters in but we could drink beer another time i mean i don't need you to drink beer (laughs) (laughs) i'm sorry emily you missed out totally fair that's completely fair i mean i'd love to but you know i understand not necessary no i understand (laughs) well the next time we drink beer on air uh we'll give you we'll we'll give you an invite emily atkin from the New Republic joins me in studio right now. Emily, how are you? I'm fantastic. How are you? You're fantastic. Yeah, it's Friday. Yeah, exactly. It's Labor, Labor Day, Day weekend. Here we go. Often, often to the weekend. Well, um, I, we've talked to you often about how terrible Scott Pruitt is slash was. I just realized. I think this is the first time that you've been on the show since he resigned, since he left. It is. Um. So now what? I mean, basically the same yeah. stuff is happening. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure everybody else that came on after he resigned probably told you that the same policy stuff would be happening. It just wouldn't be coded in like a lens of weird idiocy. Um, you know, just with, you know, weird. Why did he do that with the soundproof booth and the 
mattress and it, now it's just boring policy stuff right and we don't have this little like this weird stuff to jazz it up with which is a lot more dangerous uh, i mean yeah I, I think in terms of in terms of policies that actually affect people's health and well-being and and animals and water sources and stuff like that for sure because it just means that less people are paying attention yeah th- i think that's exactly right I, th- I think that it's way more salacious to talk about the financial scandals that he was involved in than the fact that he's actually, you know, going to send us all to an early grave. Yeah, and I think obviously the era of Donald Trump has made it so we're interested in political characters who do things that make our jaws drop. And the new acting administrator, Andrew Wheeler, he just doesn't really, he doesn't do that. He doesn't have that effect. Yeah, he's just boring but very effective at what he is supposed to do under the definition of what Donald Trump wants him to do, which is, you know, ruin the planet. I will say I think the EPA has suffered about eight eight potentially more court losses in the last three weeks on major policy action. Wow. Really? Yeah. So um, regulations that they're trying to halt or weaken um, have been stopped in their tracks by the courts. Doesn't mean that they won't ultimately succeed on, on appeals or, or otherwise, but um, the legal setbacks are still happening. And that's partially because I think we had talked about this before. Scott Pruitt wasn't as effective in his job as some might have thought. You know, he had the he was effective by press release in that he was saying that he was, you know, we're weakening this regulation. We're, mm. we're doing this to this regulation. We're going to have a new regulation on this uh, that's super weak. And um, th- he just... Uh, didn't do all those things before they were legally justified or didn't spend the time on yeah. them necessary to make them strong enough to withstand like these legal attacks. I just say, um, I, I love reading your work at newrepublic.com, but boy, it's bleak. Your work is very bleak. I'm just like scrolling down some of your <laughs> headlines, right? Air pollution denial could become EPA policy. A new golden age for trophy hunters. Trump... <laughs> Trump's climate plan could do more damage than no plan at all. And it's just like untold horrors (laughs) that you have to write about. But the weird thing is that I'm such a happy person in in real life. I mean, that's amazing because (laughs) I I, that's the only person who can write about these things because otherwise you would just go crazy. There's no coming back. There is no coming back from these dark, dark headlines that you must cover. Yeah. Yeah, I'm like, I'm like, good luck with your short-term policy fight, because when it's all over, the world's going to be on fire. Right. <laughs> Do you guys want to get a beer? <laughs> um, one of the pieces that I that uh, I wanted to get you on to talk about for sure was Trump's climate plan, uh, which you say could do no, more damage than no plan at all. You look at the Obama-era regulations on emissions, uh, which were a pretty big step. I mean, a pretty bold step. Uh, Trump is... Rolling those back, right? Yeah, it was a campaign promise of his to roll back the clean power plan, the like climate regulations on coal plants. Um, and then in I think July of last year, they announced that they were going to repeal it, um, and that just means no more, no more regulations at all, right? But then a few months after that, uh, the EPA was like, "We're actually going to ma- we are going to make a new climate regulation yeah. for coal plants," and that's because they're legally required to under the Clean Air Act. That's not because they're like cool and, and they're just like you know what we, we're <laughs> right. gonna regulate coal plants well let me ask you let me ask you this on the on the emission stuff right mm-hmm. just on that like who is it that wants this this is the coal plants and things like that but like the automakers 
they sort of have seen the wave of the future. They realize that they've got to be more sustainable with the cars that they produce, right? Or do they? Uh, some of them sort of do because they see a demand for it, but right. uh, but they also see still the the biggest selling cars in the U.S. are pickup trucks. So to uh, you know, this kind of gets into the weeds a little bit, but to make sure that their entire fleet, their entire car fleet, is more efficient, um, either means phasing out some of those um, really good selling. Um, non-fuel-efficient pickup truck SUV types or manufacturing more electric cars, which is like maybe the demand isn't there for all those cars yet, right? Uh, right. So th- they do want to m- be making some stuff, but they don't want to be making like all the stuff. Um, and coal sure. plants, coal plants, um, they don't want to be having to lower emissions. Right. Uh, that's just not the case. And <laughs> right. And actually, like I said in that article, they wanted this new regulation because they got something in it that actually allows them to stay open longer and pollute more than they would have with no regulation at all. Oh, cool. Very cool and very good. That's wonderful. That's that's great news. Thank you. <laughs> Anytime. <laughs> no, um... What else do you want to know? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, one of the things that... that... Uh, we talk about a lot is like the damage that Donald Trump is doing and how hard it's going to be to fix that damage, right? Like we're seeing it's been fairly easy for him to undo a lot of the stuff that that Barack Obama did. And I think it'll be fairly easy to undo what Donald Trump is doing. The problem is the damage that it does between now and whenever that is. Of course, but I actually disagree that it's been fairly easy for him to undo what Barack Obama has done okay. at least at least in my I can only speak about the area that I cover up. Well you you right? know a lot more about this which than is, I do. So. Which is environmental regulations yeah. and it's been very easy for him to say he's undoing the things that Obama did. Mm. Um it's been less easy to actually see the regulation off the books. Um and that's not to say that that's not to say that every reg, that like every regulation is like that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the EPA can just stop enforcing certain regulations. Like, uh, for instance, one that comes to mind is like, they were like, many, many months ago, we are going to take away this regulation that makes sure oil and gas operations plug up their leaks of methane, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, on the pipes that had leaks or, you know, flares that had leaks, this really powerful greenhouse gas is coming out just like all like that right and they're yeah. like and we're like we're not gonna eh. that's fine eh. and so It'll fix itself right right and the in practice that just means that oil and gas companies are like okay great we, we just don't have to do this anymore because th- like even if even if the regulation is not the books yet like no one's gonna no one's gonna come for us yeah, right you know what i'm saying um whereas some other regulations it's like to comply with them uh they these companies had to install these like large pieces of equipment and pay for them already, and then they they already have them. So even if even if the legal battle is ongoing, they're probably still using their anti pollution equipment that they've already bought to comply with the regulation that already happened. Sure, it's it's complicated, but I wouldn't. But I would I would say the main point is that it they appear effective in dismantling Obama's environmental legacy. They have not actually been that effective quite yet. It doesn't mean they won't be, um, but it does just mean that there are. Lots of legal battles to watch, which, again, are kind of boring because nobody's, you know, stealing a mattress. <laughs> right. Well, I want to talk about some of the legal battles because you said that there was some good news on that front. Tell us about what's going on in there. 
Um, I haven't tracked them extremely closely. Actually, my colleague uh, Alex Kaufman at the Huffington Post has been doing all the grunt work and reporting on that. Well, let's just let's just take it and pass it off as your own. That's okay. <laughs> we can do that here. Hey, Melania does it all the time. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I would. I will happily Be best. <laughs> take credit for the work of my colleagues because my colleagues are are very talented. Teamwork makes the dream work. Yeah, I think we have one of the most talented beats in DC. FYI, um, <laughs> good. But yeah, I just I noticed the other day he had written something that uh, that said seven environmental uh, regulations or, you know, seven environmental actions that the um, Trump administration had taken had been halted in court in the last week. And then I saw another one regarding uh, regarding chemical pollution, like um, something about a I think it might have been the um, might have been that really controversial pesticide that kills bees, you know. Right, um, right, right, right. I think it was actually that uh, there was a court success in that fight to halt the EPA from moving forward to, uh, you know, bring that pesticide that kills bees back. So, you know, small victories. We'll take them. We'll take them. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, I want to talk about another piece that you wrote uh, in which you managed to tie um, – Seaweed to Rihanna, and I think you did a great job with this. You can read Thank the piece you. at newrepublic.com. Uh, what the hell is going on with the seaweed? <laughs> what the hell is going on with the seaweed? Have you ever seen the blob? Yeah. So it's kind of like the blob. Okay. But instead of blob, it's brown, bulbous, um, it really smells. smelly, yeah, sulfur egg smelling seaweed. And if you ask anybody who lives, Sort of on Florida's southeast coast yeah. by Miami, or even anybody who's taken a Caribbean beach vacation sure. in the last few months, and like went to the southern or eastern parts of that island, will tell you that they couldn't get into the beach where they were going because it was covered in gross stuff and literally like a, a feet, two feet thick. Sometimes this yeah, stuff. I actually, God, I yuck. gotta, I gotta sign this story because my editor went to Tulum, Mexico. Uh, with his girlfriend to show her like the gorgeous beaches that he has frequented so much as as a young man, you know, and he's like, and here we have, oh my god, what is, oh my god, this <laughs> oh my god. is so gross. Emily, so I went to Tulum for my honeymoon uh, three years ago now, and this is a problem that they have been dealing with for three years. Yeah, but only three years. Right. Well, so the uh, let me ask you this. It, what's the difference between what's going on in the Caribbean and Florida, or is it the same thing? It's basically the same thing. So okay. Florida, Florida has multiple algae problems. Yeah, there is just the there. Red tide. Are, yeah, there are just algal blooms, green, red, brown, all over the place. Mm. Um, and they're dealing with all different kinds, but the it doesn't really matter for our purposes. You know, I'm talking about sargassum, which is one. Um, there are a number of other kinds, but it doesn't matter because they're all sort of fed by the same two things, which is heat in the water. Uh, oh, uh, there we go. That's what I was looking for. But even more importantly, uh, nitrogen pollution, so nutrient pollution, uh, the runoff from agricultural operations, uh, sugar. Uh, environmentalists are trying to blame the sugar industry in Florida, but then also just large-scale agriculture and then wastewater um which is a fun way of a nice way of saying your poop. Yeah. Um, that you know it isn't either isn't processed the correct way or gets overflowed uh, from a sewage plant because of uh, because of large rain events, which are getting more frequent because of climate change. And 
But it all comes back to that. It all yeah. comes back to that. This is not just some naturally occurring thing that uh, uh, that is just happening because it's happening. Like we are contributing to this. Yeah, uh, algal blooms would always happen anyway. Sure. But because we've so greatly altered both the carbon cycle and the nitrogen cycle. Um, we've done it both ways in toxic algae's favor. Mm. Um, so, oh, great. Yeah. Is there any hope in reversing this or because the water is warming at such a rapid rate? Um, it's, it's really hopeless. I mean, the people I spoke to said it's, it's not about reversing it now, uh, because generally perhaps, you know, if you, but that's a, it'll take generations to that, do that. That would take at least decades right now. What it's about is dealing with it and managing it so that it doesn't affect beach tourism. So it doesn't affect wildlife, um, sort of creating these management systems that treat these algal blooms almost like hurricanes. Mm. So you forecast them before they come and you create a system to forecast them. You say, oh, a category one algal bloom is coming. We need to do this to take these. Or category five is coming. We need to take these measures, you know, um, and then see what the best solution is. Because you can't just the problem is with especially with the sargassum gross brown stuff that washes up. Once it washes up, you can't just take a bulldozer and pick it all up and remove it because you're removing the beach, yeah, the beach too. That's the beach. And these beaches are not just beaches where you go to sit and drink beer. They're, they're ecosystems for animals. A lot of these beaches, not all of them, um, but a lot of them are sea turtle nesting beaches. So if you go with a bulldozer, you're going to kill yeah. hundreds, hundreds, hundreds of baby sea turtles, and they're endangered, and you don't want to do that. So you have to be delicate about it. Number one, once it comes on the beach, but really what you want to do is stop it before it gets onto the beach. And sargassum in the open ocean is actually a positive thing. Scientists like seeing all this algae in the open in the, ocean yeah, okay. because it it's a ecosystem for fish and other species. Endangered species use it um, for shelter and food. And it's actually an amazing species, this algae once it's floating mm -hmm. but when it gets close to shore that's when it starts causing all the problems that's fascinating actually you know I'm, I'm sure if you've been online in the last month or so you've seen some of the pictures from florida right with this red tide yeah. of scores of dead fish dead manatees which are already endangered um you know it this is not a problem that's going to go away, and it's become a. It's going to become a bigger, not only just a nuisance, but like, you know, that's it's it's a real blow to wildlife in Florida altogether. I mean, you're we're wiping out scores of animals. If you go to my article about this, um, I found just by sort of going through local sargassum seaweed monitoring groups on Facebook, I found this one woman who lives in Palm Beach, Florida who was just going uh, on the walk on the beach one day and found a bunch of sargassum mats on the beach. And she took out her phone and like filmed them and found a bunch of dead baby sea turtles in it. Ugh. And she starts, you know, crying in the video. Like sure. the babies, you know, they, they were trying to crawl to the ocean. They couldn't make it out. It's awful. And they got caught. They got caught. They died. Yeah. Uh, and that's, you, you see that everywhere. There's a video I linked to from uh, Barbados, which is... Rihanna's home country. That was how I linked it there. Respect. Um, respect. I was like, you know, Rihanna, <laughs> you know where she's from. Um, but there's a sea turtle rescue operation there where they posted videos of them digging 
adult sea tur- dead adult sea turtles out of pi- piles of this seaweed that are so big they were taller than the woman who was digging it out of holy yeah, crap th- they're insane you have to go into these weird holes on facebook to find all these videos but once you do they're everywhere i mean i couldn't post them all i ended on i tried to end on a happy note uh because that same woman in palm beach who came across the sargassum uh, filled with baby sea turtles who had died in them. She actually went on another walk uh, a few days later and found yet another bundle of seaweed with uh, with sea turtles trapped in them. But she there was one that was moving, so she rescued it and she brought oh. and she brought it to a local uh, marine rescue center. And then she posted a video uh, showing the little baby swimming in the tank at the sea turtle rescue center. And she was like. We saved one. He's gonna be okay, you know. And well, we're that's, like, okay. that's that's nice. Yeah, my editor says that's heartwarming. The, the beat is ninety nine percent gloom and doom and one percent hope. <laughs> I was gonna say that's not a lot of hope, but it's an it's it's some hope. We should let's not take away from it. It's one percent. What it's do you 1%. expect? It's one percent. It's one percent. The other story that I wanted to get into you with, and I know that Bill wanted to talk to you about this, but uh, Bill's not here, so I'm gonna talk to you about it. Is California becoming unlivable? Which is an attention-grabbing headline, but this all comes down to, I mean, you're not safe from be, like everything that you know and love being wiped out by a fire at any given moment in California. I mean, I'm not the one who said this. No, Cal- I, know, I know, I know. California's government is the one who said this. Yes, I made it perhaps a provoking headline about it, uh, but this is based partially on a report that came out on Monday that California's government put out that said by 2100, if we continue on this carbon emission trajectory, we're going to lose two-thirds of Southern California's beaches. Good grief. The, the, the wildfires that you see right now are going to double in size, um, et cetera, et cetera. I won't go into everything. No, but, no. I, yeah. <clears throat> but... I'm I'm sorry if I read that and said so. You're saying it's going to become unlivable, um, <clears throat> you know. Just compared with everything else that's happening, people probably think I'm hating on California by being like, "Is California unlivable?" But what I'm saying no, is, no, I get it. Yeah, what I'm saying is, if you love California and yeah. you don't want it to become unlivable because you already you're already the most disaster prone state statistically in the country, you already have the most cities with the m- most uh, air pollution in the mm. country like you're already living in a place that is one of the riskiest places to live in terms of natural disasters sure. and pollution right so if you want it to stay like this and like uh, just worry about what's happening now and like the big one the earthquake all that stuff right you're probably going to want to like super engage on climate change unless unless you don't care which then it's fine i'm not telling you to <laughs> well, care there are clearly plenty of people out there who don't care uh, about the wildfires which is pro- which is the most recent calamity to strike california um, of the many that they face uh, for for people who don't quite get it explain why or how climate change has impacted the wildfires in california yeah so there's two things one is drought and one is heat Right. So just having excessive heat in the air fires like heat. Spoiler alert. 
science. Um, <laughs> the other thing is with the excessive dryness in the summer, yeah. um, it has to do with fuel. So wildfires fuel f- faster when there's more stuff on the ground to sort of spread it, right? Dry, to dead ign- trees. To ignite it. Like dry, yeah. dead trees. Um, so with a drier climate, with a warmer climate, you just have a, a better chance for fires that may have been, you know, 500,000 square feet, right. square or square acres or whatever, right. to, to, to balloon into these larger events. Um, and climate change has also been cited as one reason why California has a dead tree crisis. Yeah. Um, which is something that the, the New York Times reported on, their dead tree crisis. Apparently they have over, you know... A million dead trees or something. I forget the number at this very moment because it's been a couple of weeks since I wrote about it. Um, but just some staggering number of dead trees that are just decaying and rotted and just serving as this like delicious meal for all these flames that are just eating it ravenously, <laughs> right? Um, so, so we only have a, we only have about a minute left. Um, what can be done about that? Because I I mean it, it seems to me Jerry Brown's a solid progressive and is right on. Uh, he's been great on. You know, climate change and things like that. What do you do? How do you, you just go in there and take down these trees? Why haven't we done it yet? Because uh, we don't, our U.S. Uh, Forest Service doesn't have enough money to both fight fires and do forest management at this uh, point. We actually passed a budget uh, this year giving the for, giving the U.S. Forest Service more money to, to do forest management, but it actually doesn't kick in for another two years. Oh, cool. What so could go wrong? We'll, we'll have two more fire seasons before that, that funding Great. actually kicks in for forest management. Um, so that's the case. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, it really does all come back down to that, right? Funding. And climate change. And, cli- and, and climate change, yeah. yes. yes. That's, we also have to solve climate issue. change, but like, yeah. But like, if we're going to fight climate change, we've got to have the money to do it, I guess. It's, yeah. Yeah. Emily Atkins, she's reporter for the New Republic, newrepublic.com. That's it, folks. Have a great Labor Day weekend. I appreciate you tuning in with me. Uh, Bill will be back on Tuesday. This is the Bill Press Show. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.